All right. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good. I'm excited uh, to be able to announce our guest speaker this morning, uh, Mike McIntyre. Uh, I'm a really good friend uh, with Mike McIntyre. I've known him for at least 15 years plus longer than that. Yeah, longer than that. And uh, he's no stranger here. If you've been here for a little while, it's been about, what, nine or 10 years, I think we talked about. Uh, that Mike was last here, and he uh, he's preached here before, and uh, so it's a privilege to have him back with us. Uh, Mike, uh, when I first met Mike, uh, he was a youth pastor over at the South Pasadena Grace Brethren Church, and uh, I was here working with the youth here, and so that's kind of how we got to know each other. And uh, over the years, God's kind of moved him to some different positions. He's now currently uh, a chaplain at the Union Rescue Mission and spends a lot of time there. Uh, here's what I love about Mike. Mike loves people. And Mike loves the word of God, and those always go great together. So uh, it's a privilege for uh, us to have Mike this morning. And so, uh, Matt, Mike, why don't you come on up and bring the word of God? I'm going to have a word of prayer for you as you uh, come on up. God, thanks so much uh, this morning that we can gather together as the body of Christ. Uh, thank you that your spirit indeed does dwell uh, within us and dwells amongst us. And so, God, we are grateful uh, that we can come this sick. This morning uh, to worship you, to praise you. God, thanks for my brother Mike here. Thanks for his heart, for the word. Thanks for his heart, uh, even for the people here in our in our uh, relationship over the years. And God, we just uh, look forward to worshiping you this, you this morning as we open up your word. God, would you reveal more of your character to us? Uh, God, as we read through the living and active word of Jesus Christ. And so, God, would you bless us this morning? Pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning. Let me let me uh, turn my my thingy on. Can you hear me? I am on. It is good to see you guys. Does anyone remember? Uh, was anyone has anyone been here for over ten years? Other than Tim and Janine, we have a few. I see a few. Uh, I see a few familiar faces. Um, I uh, last time I was here, uh, I think I weighed about twenty five pounds lighter. Had a little bit more hair, and Tim and Janine did not have uh, nine kids. Uh, so there's that. Uh, or you don't have, you have five children. You have, well, if you add Tim, he had, that's, you add Tim, they have five. Uh, I have actually one daughter myself. Uh, her name is Eileen Renee, and uh, she is six years old. They couldn't be here. Uh, they, said, they said sorry. Uh, I kept them out. Uh, a little bit past midnight, and so they were grumpy and, and tired and, and said, we're going to send you to church uh, uh, without us. So uh, they give their greetings. Hopefully we'll get a chance to, to meet them, and, and you'll get a chance to meet them here. Uh, and then if, if you guys ever invite me back, well, we'll see. I mean, I'm on a nine-year tra- uh, track record with you guys. So if you invite me back, uh, then you'll get a chance to see my family. That's kind of a shameless plug. Uh, is, is it not? Is it not? I mean, from the worship pastor, yes, that's a shameless plug. Um, well, you guys, we do have some things, some, some, just some general business we got to get through. Uh, I was told that I have at least an hour and a half to preach. So uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I am Irish and Scottish by, uh, by birth and uh, Canadian. That's half my problem. Uh, my parents are Canadian, so I apologize up front. Uh, but uh, yeah, we were told that we get about 90 minutes. Is that... Is that about is that when is the Dodger game on tonight? Because we might get we might just get right up there to it. Well, we have to say that I, I'm a pretty big Dodger fan. I'm not that big. 
of a Dodger fan. Uh, but last night we, were, we had a gala at the Union Rescue Mission where I work, uh, where we talked about Dare to Dream Big. Uh, and we were honoring Tommy Lasorda. Tommy Lasorda is a very big fan of the Union Rescue Mission, along with Andre Ethier. It's really amazing. Every time Andre Ethier comes to our mission, I kid you not, about once a week, uh, grilling hot dogs and he wears a baseball cap that doesn't say Dodgers. Uh, and he just walks in and, and just serves. I love, we love this man. We love his wife, Maggie and Andre. It's funny though, every time he shows up, all of the ladies at the mission end up wearing their nicest dresses. Uh, and everyone puts on extra makeup and I look great with rouge and lipstick. Uh, but he is a good looking man and tell you what, he is just the coolest guy. So last night we were, we were at a gala for the Union Rescue Mission raising money for the work that we do to end homelessness in the United States. You guys know that LA is, has actually the largest homeless epidemic, uh, in the United States. I do work at the oldest and largest homeless shelter in, in the United States. It's been there 126 years. Uh, we've been there a long time. Some of you have, feel like you've been at this church since 1891 and that's fine. Uh, but uh, it's been a really long time. So we were at a, a, a gala recognizing and saying thank you to all of our partners and uh, asking for a little bit more money. And Tommy Lasorda was in, was someone we were honoring. Now, he called us. Uh, he couldn't talk to Andre because he was at bat. Uh, but we actually prayed for him. And Tommy Lasorda, while he was in Houston, we said, Tommy, you're supposed to be at this event. And he goes, I know, but... It's the Dodgers or Doyers. And he's like, look, we haven't been here for like 30 years, like as old as you are, Mike. So I'm in Houston. Give my best to the mission. And so he had a nice little message for us Uh, while we were getting uh, while we were talking. There was a rally and we ended up winning. So we're claiming that uh, it's because of the Union Rescue Mission that last night. We did well, so go Dodgers. If you're not a Dodger fan, you can. The exits are here, 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 and here, and you can just go. So uh, I am a pretty big Dodger fan, but I'm also uh, an even bigger UCLA fan. We lost to Washington, so uh, there's that. Uh, pray for me. Pray. For, I don't want to hear that. Uh, uh, and, and what's your name? Polly? Pauline, I'm Michael, uh, and friends don't let friends go to USC. So let's just get that. We're going to get that done. I, I do stand up every other week. I'm kidding. Uh, but but I'm, even, I'm, I'm a bigger. I, I know I, I like the Dodgers because you kind of it's L.A., but I also like UCLA. I uh, have some family. I mean, we just pretty much love that school. And because friends don't let friends go to USC. Uh, I'm actually a bigger Denver Bronco fan, lived in Denver for a number of years. So sorry about that. But uh, we have a lot of things happening uh, in our lives this weekend. Uh, we actually play tomorrow against uh, the Redskins. So that's why you'll see this tie. I typically don't like wearing ties, but um, this is kind of some Denver colors. I see some orange and some blue. So there's that. Um, you don't have to root with me or for me, but uh, Jesus loves you and so should I, uh, Pauline. So there's that. Uh, but you guys, we actually have a lot going on as well. Um, do you know what happens on Tuesday? Tuesday is Halloween, but take me back even further than Halloween. What does uh, December 30 or December 31st? That's not my anniversary. Uh, uh, what does October 31st represent? 
Wow, look at this church. It does uh, represent the Reformation. Before that, we had All Hallows Eve, right? Where the church recognized the saints of old and we said thank you to the saints of old and the work that they had done to get us to this place. Well, friends, on October 31st, 500 years ago, on that very day, a little known Augustinian monk named Martin Luther uh, ended up actually changing the way that we think about the gospel of Christ. So today, if you have your Bibles, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that very important individual named Jesus. I, I want to tell you that 500 years ago, on October 31st, Martin Luther said, we need to change the way. We need to literally reform. Uh, that turned into what we know as the Reformation. But he said, we need to reform the way that we think about the gospel. We need to reform the way that we think about how we care for one another. And he presented uh, 95 theses that he uh, nailed on the church uh, in Wittenberg, I believe, uh, and said, uh, we need to we need to talk about Jesus. We need to get back to that. Uh, we need to move from papal authority and pieces of paper, friends to people. And so uh, what we're going to do is if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter nine. And we're going to see something about Jesus uh, that actually restores or in the in the heart or in the flavor of Martin Luther. We are going to go back to Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, we are going to read from Luke chapter nine. Uh, where where did I where did you guys have your bulletins with you? Is there a bulletin? Is there something? OK, what, what, what verses did I select? Oh, I started at 18. Ooh, OK. Well, how about I just keep reading until I stop? So back in the day, you know, the reading of the gospel, friends, that was enough. Uh, sometimes they didn't have to teach you, but, but if you just had the opportunity to read it, they said, if you can read it, then that's enough. And so uh, we're not going to do that, though. We're going to actually read it and talk a little bit more. But uh, what I'd like to do is read. Uh, we'll start in 18 to give you guys uh, some background here. Uh, and then I'll, uh, we'll highlight. I want to uh, specifically spend some time on a few verses. Uh, so in, in verse 18, if you're in Luke's gospel in chapter nine, when you're there, give me an amen. So I know to go. I hear a few amens and let's do this. And so and it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he questioned them, saying, well, who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist and others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and he said, the Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will 
be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, the, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James, and he went up to a mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were walking with him and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And these and as these were leaving them, Peter said to Jesus, excuse me. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not realizing what he was saying. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came out of this cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. I believe we will stop there. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. So, friends, I'm not going to be able to uh, highlight uh, all of these particular verses. Because it's really, uh, really just too good. Uh, but what I'd like to do uh, is I'd like to focus in, uh, challenge our hearts here and, and focus in on Luke. And I'd like to focus in on verse 28. I might make some reference to some previous verses here uh, a, a little bit earlier, but I, I just we just don't have enough time to be able to unpack uh, the beauty that is uh, the story, uh, actually an amazing story in the life of Jesus. I need to tell you, and there's no actual charge for this, uh, no charge for this, friends. But uh, if you go back to verse 18, it says, and it happened while he was praying alone. Uh, I need to let you know that in Luke's gospel, Luke is uh, one of the most underrated uh, writers in the entire New Testament. He actually wrote Luke and Acts. We know uh, it's unfortunate that they're separated, uh, but they were had to be carried by two very large scrolls. And so that's kind of why we separated. But uh, Luke is is considered one of the most underserved or uh, misundervalued uh, writers in the entire New Testament. Anytime Luke says uh, and while Jesus was praying, a revelation is is about to happen and one that literally shakes the foundation of uh, Jesus and his followers. Uh, so, the, again, there is no charge for that. That's really good stuff. But any time you see that in the Gospel of Luke, when Luke mentions that Jesus is praying, something amazing is about to happen. And we see that. And the reason why I chose and we selected these verses uh, is to show you that it started with uh, Jesus praying and Peter makes a confession. And his confession is, you are the Christ of God. I need to share with you very briefly that this moment when he declares you are the Christ of God, everything in Jesus's life changes from this point on in Luke's gospel and his writings. 
it, the minute that uh, the minute that Peter says you are the Christ, Jesus's ministry changes uh, directly uh, into uh, walking and marching towards the cross. Have you ever asked yourself how long or have you ever asked yourself this question? Maybe you're like me. And you said, why was Jesus's ministry only three and a half or four years? Most scholars kind of maintain uh, roughly around that time. Have you guys ever asked yourself that question? Why was it only three and a half or four years? You're looking at me like maybe I see one. I see Pauline, my good USC friend. I'll learn to love you by the end of this. I promise. I promise, dear. I will. I will. Jesus uh, wash my heart. Uh, do you ever ask yourself that question? Why was Jesus's ministry only three and a half years? Friends, his ministry was only three and a half years because he had to wait that long for a man like Peter to get it right. God waits for you and I to get it right. He waits for you and I to make a declaration that he can then use. This is the moment every gospel writer records that when this happens, Jesus's ministry changes. The direction of his life changes. The direction of what he does on this earth moves from the Galilean, what we know as a Galilean local ministry, to now I got to go do this thing. And what we're about to see in the transfiguration is really uh, uh, a declaration of, you know what? All right. I need to go do this thing because it was just announced. So if we had some time or you invited me back, uh, another shameless plug, we might be able to go over some other of those options. But I, I, I wanted to, I, we ha it's too good to just pass up. So it says, and, and while he was praying, if you're with me in verse 28, and it says some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter, John and James or James and John, and he went up to a mountain to do what? To pray. So this morning. What I'd like to do is I'd like to walk you through this powerful story about Jesus and his identity. We're going to look at his glory glimpsed, his glory anticipated, and quite frankly, his glory unique. If you're with me, we are, and you're keeping score, we're going to be in Luke 28. I need to tell you that this is perhaps the most significant event in all of Jesus's ministry. This this uh, story of the transfiguration, it literally prior to the cross, it's between his birth and his death. The transfiguration uh, sets us up and it, 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 it's a stage that that I'm going to say just boldly. It is the most significant event in his earthly life in between the birth and death. There's this. And it's called the transfiguration. Jesus's transfiguration is a supernatural and glorious change in appearance. It's through this point. The disciples have seen Jesus only as a man and they've seen the power of God. This whole context of Luke chapter nine is comes off of the heels of Jesus feeding about 15,000. I know the text says five, but remember, they didn't count women and children back then, uh, but it was close to 15,000. So this is coming off of the heels of that. And the disciples have seen Jesus as a man uh, displaying the power of God and over nature. They truly have not seen him as God. 
I can't help but think about Martin Luther, who had seen Jesus and seen the text and the scriptures when he came to this verse verse to see Jesus as God. This is his powerful reality that allowed him to do and say things in his day that friends, few of us today would have the courage to do. I want to tell you that Jesus here and company, they're in Caesarea Philippi, uh, which is a Gentile territory. And here Peter confesses, we said already that he confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. And it, whether he we, whether he even knew what it meant or not, he said it. And Jesus came to earth uh, with a mission. And part of that mission, we know, friends, we've been Christians for a while, was not just to live and preach, but it was to die for the the sins of the world. And so Jesus's identity as Messiah, we know, friends, is intimately connected with what? It's right behind us here, the cross. It's. Well, we got the Bible open. I like that. But it's intimately connected with the cross. It's. Without a dying Jesus, friends, we don't have the savior that we need. Imagine the kingdom of earth. Uh, that we live in separated uh, from the kingdom of God by a curtain. I know if you read your Bibles and keep score there, uh, that's in the New Testament. But imagine it like a curtain. It's the best way I know how to describe it, uh, that uh, that the kingdom of God and earth is separated by uh, a curtain. Jesus is God there and he is the eternal king who has stepped down from his throne uh, to live as a man. And Jesus's ministry is all about lifting the curtain between these two kingdoms. So that one day we'll be able to actually see uh, who God is for who he really is in his full glory. The moment of the transfiguration is actually a peek into what it will look like for us one day. That's why this is so powerful. The transfiguration in, is, is really um, it shows us that Jesus is not just a man, but he's God. He literally kind of you know, shows us who he really is underneath that clothing we know as being a human. Again, this is a foreshadowing then, I believe, of Jesus' return to glory and uh, where we get to see just exactly what he looks like and what it'll look like for us in the kingdom. So if you're with me here in verse 28, about eight uh, days after his birth, he took Peter. Uh, I like to say James and John. I don't. Uh, Luke likes to mess with my word order, but he didn't consult me before, so that's okay. I'm not mad at him. And he says John and James, and and he went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of Jesus's face. It said his face changed and his clothes became white, like the appearance of lightning almost. And then there's a couple of men there, Moses and Elijah, and they appear in this glorious splendor. They're talking with Jesus and they spoke about, well, his departure and what he was about to fulfill here in Jerusalem. And so just after a week, then after Peter's confession, Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to die and they don't 
understand. And they make their way back to Capernaum. And it, it, just uh, to the northwest of Capernaum, there's a, a mount there. It's called Mount Moron or Myron, de- depending on long, you know, if you're Canadian or not. I, I don't even know how to say it. Uh, it's actually the tallest mountain in Palestine. Uh, Palestine. It's about 400 or 4,000, forgive me, feet high. Uh, while there is, uh, it's not really that tall. You know, you, you look at Mount Wilson or Mount Baldy or Lake Arrowhead there. It's not that tall, uh, but it would take a considerable amount of time to get there to its peak. And so it's likely late evening when they arrive uh, to, to this summit here to pray together. Uh, the seclusion of the mountaintop makes it a great place uh, for prayer and a great place where the disciples, the three that he takes, Peter, James and John or Peter, John, John and James, uh, and, and they can't be distracted and so after Jesus' self-revelation to the disciples, uh, a week before uh, uh, Jesus brings his, he's bringing these three here again for a whole new level of revelation. Now, remember, this revelation was it already happened about a week ago or eight days before uh, it happened when Peter made the confession. And then he takes three and now he's about to show them uh, what they said or what Peter said uh, as reality. And so they go up to this mountain, they go up to pray and it's late. Uh, this mountain is probably exhausting. I don't know about you, but I did admit that the last time I was here was about 25 pounds lighter. Uh, I can blame my wife or kids or just old age. It's, it's not fun getting old. It's just not. But it is. It happens to all of us. And so I'm getting old and, and they're tired and I can picture them getting tired because they're late. Uh, they're exhausted. They're hiking and they're like, Jesus, you know, he's just walking and doing his thing. They're like, <gasps> and so, you know, they literally get up to this top of this mountain here and they try to stay awake, but they don't. They can't. Uh, and Jesus begins to pray and. I need to let you know uh, a kind of a funny story, but um, Jesus's prayers, friends, they're not like five minutes when Jesus decided he was going to pray like that was a thing for him. And that was a thing for the disciples. And so when Jesus gets close to praying, they're like, who's going to get the first watch when I say prayer? It's probably several hours. Most of our scholars say that this is probably a couple of hours. And uh, the only thing that I know how to get close to relate to this is my daughter. My daughter is six years old. Uh, When she was five, we were praying for Thanksgiving meal. And as I was praying, she said, Dad, not the whole Bible. So my daughter, uh, bless her little heart, (laughs) understands all too well the disciples. And she says, I understand what the disciples went through because I have to listen to you sometimes. Yeah, my daughter has actually even said uh, while I was in the middle of a very, very wonderful discussion, if I add so my and my always accurate and humble opinion, uh, she said, can I have some popcorn? And I'm like, why do you want popcorn? She's like, well, I want to I don't know when you're going to be done. And I thought I could just have something to eat uh, while we wait for you to finish your both thoughts uh, and your speech. And I'm like, sweetheart, I was just praying for our meal. So. Again, she says, not the whole Bible. I imagine the disciples are like, oh, he's going to do his thing again. So let's not pick on the disciples too much, because I don't know about you, but when's the last time you've been to a two and a half hour prayer ceremony and you were told to stay awake? I I mean, right. 
So so let's not pick on them too much, but they fall asleep because Jesus has them. They're running and they're moving and they're moving at a pretty good pace. Uh, and they get to this top of this mountain and Jesus begins to pray and they just knock out. That's what happens in this story. And that's OK. Right. So while the disciples are sleeping, Jesus changes his appearance, undergoes this radical transformation in his face. And clothes become, the text says, like light. And this is the first time we see Jesus. Remember, even in the baptism, what do you hear in the baptism? You don't see anything change in Jesus's appearance or countenance, do you? No, you just hear a cloud and a voice and it says, what? This is my son whom I'm well pleased. We're going to get, uh, uh, we have something interesting if if you want to keep that thought in your head. But this is the first time we see him become divine. He looks divine. Right. At this moment, Jesus is radiating the glory of God. I want to share with you. Do you remember? You guys know this this character named Moses, right? Uh, Peter, Peter made a mention to it. Some say you're like Moses. Some say you're like Elijah. Well, remember Jesus or remember Moses. Moses uh, had uh, the Shekinah glory or the glory of God. Right now, Moses was he, he had to wear a veil, though. Am I right? Because he said it was too bright and and he had to walk around. And people were like, oh, Moses, put your brightness away. Right. Um, well, this this isn't something from the outside. This is the inside out. This is not outside in. Did I say that right? I don't know. I went to Bible school. I did. I, I wasn't major in math. So but you, you get my point, right? This is not something that just fell on him as he's hanging out with Jesus. This is this is this is something on the inside out. This same glory that Moses would have radiated. Ooh, this is powerful. Guess who's displaying it? Jesus. That same look is now the thing, the stuff that Jesus is made of. Pretty crazy. I know Uh, we could only speculate as to what that actually looked like. We'd only speculate as to what that actually even felt like. The only only other place we get close to is Moses. And who's standing there with him? Elijah and. Absolutely. Pretty powerful. The same glory. The same glory is found directly right here. So this isn't just Jesus being radically or totally transformed. This is just him reverting back to who he was. Remember, he is God. Wearing flesh. He's not flesh who became God. That's very clear. He has just clothed himself in humanity to become one of us. In this moment, he shed the covering. He reveals a portion of who he really is. This could very well be what Jesus meant. If you have your Bibles and I know you're, you're worried about this or you're concerned, as I am too, but I say to you truthfully in verse 27, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This may very well be the answer to that particular verse. It may not. Perhaps, perhaps not. Better men have tried. Uh, I don't know exactly, but this very well could be the answer to that uh, particular prayer. Uh, Only a week, only a week went by after that statement. 
And Jesus shows them that he is God. And the kingdom of God has come at hand. Out of nowhere, of this radical change, Moses and Elijah show up and they appear in glory with him. Now, they've been dead for some time, if you're keeping score, right? Uh, They've been dead for some time. So I don't know about you guys, but did they have pictures back then? How did the disciples know that that was Moses and Elijah? I mean, I asked the question. I I don't know. How did they know? Um, I don't know. I know they've been dead for some time. And so uh, what the disciples see with Moses and Elijah with them in their glorified new creation as citizens of the kingdom of God, the life that Jesus brings is pretty powerful and amazing. This description of seeing both of them, uh, we don't really know how they actually knew that it was them, but we do know the text tells us, so we believe it, amen, uh, that this is a new creation and a new reality to be sitting and talking with God in glory. And these two men, who are saints past, are now with him in glory. It's interesting, but um, Jesus brings this life of eternity. Uh, It's not like regular life minus hardships, but it's an entirely new making. And we see that here in the text because they're actually in his presence in this new making. This is a glorified body. So this is one where I maybe... You know, Tim and I can get a little bit more hair and I can get my 25 pounds back. I don't know. But Jesus, I need to tell you very clearly, very distinctly that Jesus is God who comes looking like a man or men to transform men and women so they can look more like God. Let me say that again. Jesus is God who comes in the form of man hoping to transform men and women back to the image of God. Moses and Elijah here appear that they are they appear and they're talking with Jesus. It says how the disciples knew it was them. We don't know. Uh, We assume they're addressing each other by name or they wore some sort of heavenly name tag. I have no idea. I hope they don't. I the the listen, I was in IT for like 10 years. The worst thing I had to do was go to an IT event and say, hello, my name is I actually have a T-shirt that has hello, my name is uh, like embroidered uh, so that I could walk in and just it would say, hello, my name is. And of course, mine was a joke. Uh, and it said, my name is Inigo Montoya. Uh, you killed my father, prepare to die. And very in like six point font. And they'd look in there like, oh, 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 OK, you're yeah, you're not normal. And they would walk away from me, which was the intended purpose of wearing a name tag to begin with. Right. So I'm asking you, Jesus, uh, on behalf of the saints, young and old, gone before and today, please don't make us wear name tags. But let's assume that they were addressing each other by name and they they didn't have name tags. Um, We need to talk about Moses and Elijah very briefly. Uh, What does Moses represent? Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. So the law and the prophets are uh, are not just all about Jesus. But Jesus is a fulfillment of everything spoken about the law and the prophets. The temple is about the presence of God. Am I right? The temple is about the presence of God and Jesus is that presence of God. The law is God's word and Jesus is 
the word of God. He says that in John chapter one. What the Jews believed in, what we believe in, and everything that exists in this world is all about Jesus. It truly is. What a more appropriate Sunday to focus our heads and hearts in light of the Reformation. That was all literally about Jesus. Moses delivered, we know, the Israelites from captivity in Egypt. And Jesus comes to deliver men and women from the captivity of sin. Moses brought the Passover with the blood of the lamb and we know who Jesus is. He is that perfect Passover lamb. Moses started the nation of Israel, but Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He delivers his people. He makes a new kingdom. He is the fulfillment of Israel's past, present, future And even our future hope is God's people. That is his glory glimpsed. Friends, his glory anticipated in Luke 9, 32. If you're there with me, Peter and his companions, then they're sleepy and uh, they become fully awake. Uh, They they see and they, they, they witness his glory and two men standing there in verse 33. It says, and the men were leaving. Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Friends, I need to tell you, for many years, I have taken this verse to mean uh, that Peter is doing something wrong. But I need to tell you that uh, my view has completely changed. Something has changed. And you see, what Peter is doing here is actually what any good Jew would have done. What Peter is doing is exactly what what you and I would do if we were living in Jesus's day. You see, the Feast of Booze or Tabernacles would have been a normal thought in everyday life. And we know that they're just about to get there. That's what they're about to celebrate. And Peter was just trying to remember God's provision in the lives of the people who were in the wilderness. Any boy, any young boy who was uh, old enough to be weaned, even between six or eight years old, they were expected to live in a shelter for one week, remembering what God had done to bring everyone into from captivity into freedom. And so what Peter is saying is, let me make three booths for you. Let me make one for Moses, one for Elijah and Jesus, one for you. Uh, I know that a pastor's previous and, and, and maybe even my own heart before we would pick on Peter and say, well, look, there goes Peter oh, inserting foot and mouth again. Right. You've heard that preached before. Friends, that's not what this is. He just professed Christ, the Messiah, as Lord. He just said that. So what he's doing is saying this is a good place to remember where God showed up. I know we like to pick on him, but friends, the message isn't Peter here. It's all about Jesus. What he did and what he said here is I uh, 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 Peter, let's be clear, he's not fumbling with words here. He's making a positive statement about wanting to celebrate what he saw. We're not sure if he was startled by the light or perhaps it was just that he was waking up. It's actually completely understandable. And we would do the same thing if we were roused from sleep and saw something crazy like that. 
Peter made a confession as Christ and he's making another positive statement. The text doesn't say Peter did not know what to say. It says he didn't know what he was saying because, quite frankly, he was either half awake or he his brain couldn't comprehend what Jesus was. That's why the text says we didn't talk about it to anyone for a really long time. But what he wanted to do was create these places of showing that God had been here and been with them. That's what any good Jew would have done. That's what any good Jew would have said. His brain, again, couldn't comprehend. But he said, this is God's literal tabernacling with us. Oh, my gosh. Friends, don't be so hard on him. He just didn't understand the importance of the words that he was about to use. Friends, we'll move quickly here in my last point. Jesus's glory here. Out of the cloud came a voice saying the same thing that he said during Jesus's baptism. Friends, what was it? We're going to we need to get back to that. This is my son whom what? Who I'm well pleased. Am I right? What's different here? This is my son whom I have Chosen. Listen to him. Powerful change. When you see him as God, Jesus is someone to be listened to. Jesus's glory is unique because it's to be listened to and obeyed. This is a change in the text and direction, is it not? This is not just whom I'm well pleased. This is now listen to him. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, said we need to listen to Jesus. Now let's do that again this morning. Now that we've walked through this passage, I think I have an idea of why this narrative is so important for us. Friends, if you were going to display, if the Denver Broncos came to town, we did and we lost to the Chargers. Oh, oh well, but but if if you were going to announce the kingdom of God, who would you do it with? Last night I was at a gala and with some very, very famous people and a couple of billionaires were sitting at my table. I don't know about you guys, uh, probably last week when you were sitting with billionaires, um, but um, they don't really see the world the way that we do. I was hoping that they would relieve some of their uh, zeros in my bank account so that I could uh, begin to understand how they saw the world. Uh, they did not agree with me, uh, however, comma, but I'll tell you what, um, that was very unique. If I I begin to think if I was going to display my glory, who would I do it with? Friends, the message of this story is not on who on how God displayed it. But who he displayed it to, who is with him? Three disciples, three men that you and I would probably discount. God, I mean God, like the real God displayed who he really was to three men that you and I would pass over. And what does that actually say to us this morning? That Jesus, <laughs> Jesus shows us who he really, really is. These men that were with him, Peter, you guys know about Peter, do you not? Was he an insert, insert foot and mouth kind of guy? 
Yeah. John MacArthur writes, and I quote, Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except Jesus. No one speaks as often as Peter and no one else is spoken of by the Lord as Peter. No disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter and no disciple ever rebukes the Lord except by Peter. No one else confesses Christ more boldly or acknowledges lordship more explicitly. Yet no other disciple ever verbally denied Christ as forcibly or publicly as Peter. No one is praised and blessed by Christ as the way Peter was. Yet Peter was also the only one Christ ever addressed as Satan, the Lord had harsher things to say than Peter, than any other human being on the face of the earth. And yet he's there being outspoken and running amok was Peter's uh, forte after he's filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens? He preaches and more than four thousand are accepted into the church. In one day, his bold, spirited, audacious uh, 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 Jewish style of leadership uh, suffered much because he followed this man named Jesus and he became what the man in charge. Matthew records that when he declared you are the Christ, Matthew records a promise and says on this church, I'm going to build you. You are my rock, my Cephas. Friends, why was Peter on the mountain? I'll tell you why he was on the mountain, because God shares his glory with the ordinary. This is the God we serve. God shares his glory with the ordinary. What about James and John? Really quick. James and John had their mom try to tell Jesus about what kind of position they were going to have in the kingdom. I don't know about you, but that's never going to happen with my mom. Uh, but they're going to get clowned when I get to heaven. I'm talking to James and John, the sons of the sons of thunder. Uh, you're so powerful that your mom had to go up and say, uh, yeah, that's kind of an issue. But these men, these sons of thunder. Were so concerned about self and their own position that they had to bring an extra help to get them to get to the get to the point. Who was with Jesus on that mountain? If you were Jesus, you'd be frustrated. They're falling asleep. Uh, they have authority in Christ's name and his name. They haven't yet fully understand it, but they're on that mountain because God shares his glory with the ordinary. <clears throat> Friends, maybe you feel like I do from time to time. Uh, have you ever found yourself saying I'm not that special? I'm I've never done anything that people will remember. I haven't written that book yet. The publishers just they don't like me yet. I'm not old enough. I don't have enough gray hair. I friends, I haven't made any life altering discovery for a cure of anything. I literally am ordinary. I'm just like Peter, James and John. Friends, when you feel that way, when I feel that way, I need to remember that Jesus saved the greatest moments of his ministry, not for special people, but for the ordinary, for those that come to church on Sunday morning to experience him. Whether there's five of us, 50 of us, 500, 5,000, 50,000, whether there's two. We're here because God shares his glory. With the ordinary as friends, as you go out this week, I pray you take that with you, especially on Halloween, that God shares his glory with the ordinary. Who did he share it with? A way of rethinking the gospel was with the, this really short. I like to picture this like balding 
really short uh, uh, Augustinian monk who had a problem with his father's affirmation and who struggled with inner peace of knowing where he would be in heaven. He was tired of being told that he had to pay for assurance. And this little known man changed the way that you and I worship today. Why? Because God shares his glory with the ordinary. Friends, that's why we're here. I pray this week that God begins to share with you his glory. Join me as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. I thank you for this community, this body of believers who are desperate and hungry for who you are. Jesus, thank you for you being you. Thank you for teaching us that you show and share your glory with us. The ordinary. We're not billionaires. Jesus, thank you for who you are, for the work that you have done. Teach us to learn to live and love in the way that transforms our community. Father, we are in awe of your work on this earth. Fill us with joy, with unsurpassable joy, knowing, Jesus, that we follow you. And that is enough. So, God, we ask, Jesus, we ask, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us with a presence, a vision, a dream of you that keeps us moving as you did with these three ordinary men. We need you. Keep us safe in your will and work as we go. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.